afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now, here's your host, Mary Woods. us in New Hampshire, and I'm very excited today um, to talk about a topic that seems to be um, in the news more and more over the last year, and our guest today is Dr. Tammy Nelson. Um, Dr. Nelson is a sex and relationship expert, an international speaker, an author, and a licensed psychotherapist with over 25 years of experience working with individuals and couples. She holds a doctorate in philosophy, a Ph.D. in sexology from the American Academy of Clinical Sexology, which is a, so she is a certified sexologist, a diplomat of the American Board of Sexology, and a licensed professional counselor, a registered art therapist, and a licensed alcohol and drug counselor, and certified imago therapist. She is the author, author of several books, including Getting the Sex You Want, Shed Your Inhibitions, and Reach New Heights of Passion Together, as well as What's Eating You, a workbook for anorexia and bulimia. She has been a featured expert in Glamour Magazine, Cosmopolitan, Men's Health Magazine, and a source in Time Magazine. She has written for Psychotherapy Networker and other trade journals. and can be followed on her blog, www.tammynelson.org slash blog slash, and her website is drtammynelson.com. So welcome, Dr. Nelson, to our show today, and we're going to be talking about imago therapy as well as um, your book and a number of other topics. So thank you for being a guest. Thanks so much for having me. Um, This is really interesting for me because um, I'm embarrassed to say I had not heard of imago therapy until we started to look at your work. So maybe um, there are other people out in the audience that are as um, under-informed as I am. So could you just begin by telling us what imago therapy is and how it came about? Sure. Imago therapy, which is spelled I-M-A-G-O, um, which means image, or um, it also means the late stage of the butterfly, interestingly enough, um, is a type of couples counseling, and it was developed by uh, Harville Hendricks, who wrote the book Getting the Love You Want. And I think he's been on Oprah now about 20 times, and she's one of, um, she said he's one of her favorite shows, the top 20, I think, or top 10. And um, Mago Therapy is really based on this idea that as couples, we're always going to be attracted to someone who has the capacity to heal us from our childhood wounds and, you know, someone who will finish out our the business of childhood so that there's really no coincidence that you're with the person that you're with and that working in couples therapy, uh, there's some pretty specific exercises that Imago has, but really it's sort of a theoretical model about why we choose the person that we choose, and uh, why we get into the sort of conflicts and the power struggles that we do, which all couples do, and which are normal to all, you know, committed partnerships, and that it really gives you some very specific uh, explanations and some ways to get out of some of those conflicts and power struggles. Because I think that, you know, for most of us, being in a relationship is like the hardest thing you'll ever do. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Yeah, I know for me... Um, as a couple therapist, I really would even get discouraged myself working with couples because 
by the time couples come into therapy, they're really just there on the way to drop the other person on the way out the door. By the time you come into couples therapy, you've really sort of lost all hope. And I certainly understand that because you have to be in a lot of pain to come to couples therapy because it's very difficult. And so most couples come in to therapy in a place of real crisis. And Imago therapy, I've found over the years, is is one of the only types of counseling that i found that has been really effective and very um, very powerful in working with couples. And certainly it encompasses a lot of the other really good strategies of couples therapy. It sort of holds the space of a couple together. It teaches them how to have dialogues and communicate with each other. Um, but if people are, are interested in the sort of details of Imago therapy, they could buy the book, which is called Getting the Love You Want, um, which is now sort of an international bestseller. It's really taken off. So how does this differ from, like, cognitive behavioral therapy mm-hmm. or, um, you know, other types of, like, experiential therapies? Yeah. Um, well, those are good questions. How does it differ from cognitive behavioral therapy? I think a lot of it is, um, you know, we've always believed that if you just have insight and sort of understand what's happening in your relationship, then things will improve. But I think in Imago therapy, it really gives you some strategies to actually change some behaviors. And I think the difference is also that we've believed that if you just fix yourself and if each person works on themselves, then they come back to the relationship healthier and the relationship should be healthier. But I think with Imago therapy, we found that um, that doesn't necessarily work, that you do need to each individually work on yourself and your own health and your own development and your own self-actualization, but you also need to work on the relationship, that the relationship won't won't work on itself, that you have to uh, have a conscious relationship, that so much of the patterns that we're in are not just cognitive or even behavioral changes that we have to be aware of, uh, that we really do have to move more towards what our partner wants from us because there's a a message in what our partner desires from us. And it's usually the last thing in the world that we want to give them. <laughs> and it's the most important thing in the world to them. But the reason that it's so hard for us to give it to them is because it's usually the one thing that we've been doing to survive our whole life. Mm. And so as important as it is to them that we change it, it's usually so entrenched in our capacity to survive and defend ourselves that we find it's the most difficult thing to give up. But in that uh, request from our partner, it's really a growth for us. It really is our own growth to move more towards what our partner desires for us. So we used to think in couples therapy world that, you know, if, if you wanted something from your partner, that was really about you. And it was a, sort of a projection, what we call, you know, a projection. And we would say, oh, no, that's about you, and you need to work on your stuff and figure out what you need and fix that in yourself. And now we sort of look at it differently in Imago. We say, you know, what is it about your desire for healing in your partner? And because that is maybe partly about a projection in yourself, but it may also hold a little bit of a, a clue to where your partner's growth needs to be. So even if it's 90% about me and 10% about my partner, that 10% about my partner could really hold some gold for him 
um, in where his growth needs to be. So in Imago, it really, we learn some real dynamic ways to change the relationship, and things do shift pretty dramatically. So how does this connect to, um, if we think about, we we end up in, in a relationship with someone because there's something that we need to heal from our childhood? Mm-hmm. Um, I know I have a friend who yeah. who talks about, um, you know, when her relationship started to um, get into trouble, she realized that, wow, I married my mother. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that the characteristics that I'm finding so hard to deal with in this relationship are the same characteristics that I, I had trouble dealing with and never resolved with her mother. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, it's so common that we all do that. And, and you know, we have a tendency to marry someone who has the positive and the negative traits of our of our parents, of our childhood caretakers. So it's not just that we're attracted to someone who has the negative traits, but also the positive traits. And we marry someone like that because we need to um, be with someone who, you know, doesn't give us the love that we need in the same way that we didn't get it as a kid. Because if we, we if we marry someone who gives it to us easily, then we don't have any growth challenge in our lives. It would just be too simple, and we would not be attracted to that person. But we tend to be attracted to someone who is sort of holding out on us in the same way that our parents held out on us. And now, granted, there's an assumption here that you know none of us had perfect childhoods. You know, if we had perfect childhoods, we'd all be still living with our parents. <laughs> So we assume that, you know, at some point our parents were less than perfect and there was some need that didn't get met. And so we have a tendency to be attracted to a partner that will trigger that need in us, um, you know, this unmet need from our childhood that we will see in our partner. And it's you know, many times very unconscious and sometimes we'll even purposely decide that we're not going to pick a partner that's like that. And yet it will continue to evolve that way. I'll, I'll give you an example, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of like if a woman grows up with a very alcoholic father and he's out at the bars every night and she decides as she grows up, you know, I am really felt really abandoned by that experience and I'm going to choose to be with a man who doesn't drink and doesn't go to the bars so that I can really heal from that childhood wound of abandonment. And so she chooses a man who... Uh, doesn't drink, and she's very conscious of choosing someone who doesn't go to the bars and who has a really good job, and he's very responsible. And so she marries him, and he's got a really good job, and he's very responsible, and he's at work all the time. And he works late every night, and sometimes on the weekends, and she realizes as she's sitting home by herself that she's been triggered in the same way, in the same place, that that old wound of abandonment is still there and that this very responsible husband has triggered the same abandonment place. And she's unconsciously chosen someone who has the same, you know, stripes, shall we call it, that she's recognized on some level that this man will trigger those same needs in her. Now, the difference is, is that he'll come home and say, honey, I'm so sorry, I really love you and I really miss you and I apologize that I haven't been around and let's make up for it on the weekends. So she gets the love that she needed that will heal her from those wounds. If you know, if she was with a man that was home all the time and he said, I really love you, it doesn't have the same impact <laughs> as a man who says it 
to heal her from those same abandonment feelings. Then, then how does the woman get healed from that experience if she's just rep- if she's still feeling the abandonment when he's not there? I mean, is it a process? I mean, the more he says he loves her, the more she experiences this, do you become desensitized to the experience? Well, and that's a good question. The more she's able to ask for her needs to be met, so the more she's able to say, you know, I feel really abandoned when you're not at home, and I really, you know, it would be important for me for you to either be at home more or for us to stay in touch more when you're at home, when you're not at home, so maybe we talk every night on the phone. Um, you know, for her to begin to be more conscious about sharing her needs with him and also to communicate why it's so important. If she just says, you know, I really miss you when you're gone and we need to talk more, it's not going to have the same impact on him as if she as if she shares really what it means to her because of her childhood. Then he's going to say, oh, well, I don't want you to feel that way. That That sounds really painful. And so, of course, we'll talk every night on the phone. And, of course, I'll make more of an effort to come home to you. You know, when we really understand what we're wounding in our partner, there's a much greater likelihood that we're going to work harder to um, to give our partner what they need. Otherwise, sometimes we hear it as, you know, nagging or complaining because we don't really understand what the need is underneath. And is that the essence of imago therapy then? Well, it's the beginning of it. You know, it's the beginning of understanding and reframing your partner, not so much as someone who is trying to make your life miserable, um, but to reframing to see your partner as a wounded child themselves who's trying to get their needs met. So, you know, when your wife is bugging you to take out the garbage and it just sounds like, oh, she's always bugging me to take out the garbage endlessly, nagging me about the garbage, that sounds different than if she says, you know, I really, when you don't take out the garbage, it reminds me of my childhood when I really had to do everything in the house. And I was the only one who was responsible at home. And so when you don't take out the garbage, it makes me feel like you don't care about my feelings. And it triggers some of those same wounds. And that's a much different story than just she's a nag. (laughs) And so I guess the important thing remember is is that we need to be aware of what our wounds are so that we can heal them and not just get into a repetitive cycle and yeah. you know end up crashing and burning in all of our relationships and we'll be right back after this commercial if you have any questions for dr nelson please give us a call and we'll be back after this commercial Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Can you imagine a technology that takes human consciousness to the next level? One that reveals a new understanding of what is valuable and possible in the abundant support of life? The truth is, we already have that technology. We simply need to awaken to it and become the value it creates. For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Listen for the right turn with J.J. O'Malley. It's an insider's look at America's fastest-growing motorsports series, the Grand Am Rolex Sports Car Series, presented by Crown Royal Cask Number 16. You'll hear about what happened last weekend and get a preview of what's coming up next. From the Rolex 24 at Daytona through Watkins Glen International, Mid-Ohio, Laguna Seca, right up to the championship at Homestead Miami Speedway. The Right Turn with J.J. O'Malley, broadcast live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Power Up Motorsports Channel. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Today we are talking with Dr. Tammy Nelson, who is a certified um, sexologist as well as a registered art therapist and a licensed alcohol and drug counselor. And what we're really talking about today is um, couples counseling and relationships, and we're going to also be talking about different types of sex addiction. But before going to break, Dr. Nelson was sharing with us um, a little bit more about imago therapy, which is a form of couples counseling that she utilizes in her practice. And um, she began by saying, and I think most of us could agree with this, that relationships are really a lot of work. And that, um, and I think the process of maintaining a relationship, the longer we're involved in it, I know for me, I always used to think the longer I was involved in it, the less work I should have to put into it. And I, I think it's just the opposite. But um, in talking about what imago therapy is, Dr. Nelson was um, talking off uh, line about the process of the dialogue. So that not in imago therapy, there's insight as well as behavior change, but there's also a very structured um, process for couples to learn to talk to each other. And I'm assuming that couples could be heterosexual or homosexual or whatever. Sure. But um, could you explain to the audience what we were talking about in terms of the process of the dialogue? Sure. One of the, um, the the biggest requests that couples have when they come into therapy is to learn how to communicate. That's what everyone says is their biggest frustration. And I think what happens is that regardless of 
uh, what people's frustrations are, and with all due respect for what everyone's problems are that they identify when they come into therapy, I think what most couples struggle with is that they get into the same loop. You know, no matter what they're talking about, sex, money, kids, parents, um, taxes, they end up in the same frustrated place where they don't feel heard and they don't feel seen and they don't feel like their partner really understands them and they end up feeling uh, not understood and not seen. And so what we do with Imago therapy is to sort of slow down the process and make it a little bit more structured so that people have the experience of feeling seen and feeling heard and frankly, regardless of what the issue is, a lot of times that sort of does begin the healing process. And so with the therapist in the office or in a workshop, we teach them uh, the process of what we call the dialogue. And this, this you do in other types of psychotherapy as well, in other good couples counseling. Um, but this is a sort of structured process where it has three parts. We mirror, which means you just reflect back what you hear your partner say. And then you empathize, which means you um, try to experience what your partner is experiencing to the best of your ability. So as much as you know your partner in the way that you know them, you know how does it make sense what they're saying? And I'll give you some examples. And then you validate their feelings, which basically means you say, you know, you're not crazy for feeling what you feel. I can understand from your side of the the bridge on your side, it makes sense that you would feel that way. Has nothing to do with whether I agree with you or not, or whether I feel that way. But I can understand that you might experience this this way. So the dialogue process might sound like one partner is the sender and one partner is the receiver. And so the sender might um, be uh, having a frustration or a conflict, and they might say, you know, uh, one thing that I'm frustrated about is that you don't take out the garbage. And so the the receiver would say, so one thing you're frustrated with me about is that I don't take out the garbage. And so we begin a process of just mirroring so that the sender can send over what they have to say. And as simple as this sounds, it actually is kind of a healing process because the person who's sending over their frustration gets a chance to get out what they want to say without experiencing, you know, what I call defensive language. Because, you know, when we're talking to our partner, uh, you know, halfway through their sentence, we already know what they're going to say. <laughs> and we already have our retort. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, we're already saying back yeah. what we, we know we're, we're going to say. And so it's not really ever a dialogue. It's just both of us throwing our opinions at each other and finishing each other's sentences. So this process of mirroring is a good way to feel heard. And then the receiver would say, you know, it makes sense that you would feel frustrated and angry that I don't take out the garbage, you know, knowing you the way I know you, I I know you can't stand it when the garbage piles up in the kitchen and it makes you, you know, really angry when I don't take it out every week when the garbage men come and, you know, I can imagine that you get really, you know, fed up with having to ask me all the time. And notice that the receiver didn't agree, didn't disagree. All they're doing is empathizing with how the sender feels. And that, you know, the validation is I can, you know, knowing you, I can imagine that, you know, that's just really hard for you. And all that does is calm down the person who's frustrated because at least they feel understood. And the receiver doesn't have to make any promises to change. They don't have to agree. They don't have to defend themselves. They don't have to explain why they don't take out the garbage. They don't have to keep score and say, well, you never do the dishes. 
They don't have to say, well, I've taken out the garbage every day this week. I don't know what you're talking about. It really is just a way to begin a more deeper process that we go into deeper, further down the process of therapy. But it's the beginning of creating a a stage where everyone feels heard and listened to and, and their opinion is and their feelings are validated. And a style of communication that promotes the person to be open to go to those deeper stages, because I'm assuming eventually there would become a solution to to this yeah. stressor within the sure. relationship. Sure, absolutely. And you're much more likely to come to a solution if you can empathize with each other. And you're much less likely to argue, frankly, if you can empathize with each other. People usually don't argue if they're empathizing. We argue because we're not really getting how our partner feels and we're not feeling heard. We'll continue to yell and push our side until we feel like our partner's hearing us. And so this is a good way of slowing down that process and of really being heard in that conflict phase. Does that make sense? It it, it makes sense. And I think um, one of the things, too, that we were talking about that I'd like to um, to discuss a little bit is this whole I- idea of romantic love mm-hmm. and, um, and the idea that relationships healthy relationships go through different stages. I guess all relationships go through different stages, and depending on how effective your communication style is, and it depends on whether it's healthy or not healthy. Mm-hmm. And maybe you could share a little bit of that process with our listeners. Well, sure. You know, we all go through uh, the initial romantic phase of a relationship, you know, when you're first attracted to someone or longing for someone or you first fall in love. But that really is you know, a biochemical phase of of attraction that happens in your brain and it lasts anywhere from three months to 27 months. And unfortunately, your brain just can't keep up that really high production of serotonin and dopamine and adrenaline and oxytocin and PEA and all these brain chemicals that you experience when you're in love for a long period of time because it would just burn out. So after the after the first couple of years of romantic love, when you settle into the attachment phase of your relationship, you know, things kind of calm down a little bit. Amago would say after the relationship phase, you go into the next phase of your marriage or, or partnership, which is called the uh, conflict phase or the power struggle, and that that pretty much lasts the rest of your marriage. <laughs> Oh, but that's helpful. <laughs> yeah, it's very discouraging. <laughs> I mean, the good news is, is that once you realize that, you know, that conflict does not determine whether or not you're in a successful relationship, that has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not you're in a healthy marriage or partnership, then you can say, okay, we're in the conflict phase or the power struggle, and this is perfectly normal. This is where we're supposed to be. Now we can have a very conscious relationship. Now we can say, this doesn't mean that we have to trade each other in for somebody new who we're not going to argue with, or this doesn't mean that there's something wrong with either me or with you or with the relationship. This means we're in a normal phase of relationship development, and we have to learn how to manage the frustration of the conflict that every couple has. And once you really see that this is part of what every couple goes through, then it becomes much easier to manage and people panic less. You know, and there's certain phases of the relationships that you go through sexually too, and I think that people um, 
worry less when they realize everyone goes through them and that they're normal. And that doesn't mean that um, we have to, you know, trade our partner in for a newer model or a better model. Or <laughs> So what are some of the, now that you've brought that up, what are some of the different stages we go through in our sexual relationships? Well, certainly the first stage is part of the romantic phase where there's a very intense attraction. Now, this isn't true for all couples. Some couples don't have that in the beginning of a relationship. But for most couples, there's a, a more intense sexual experience in the beginning where they have a greater um, attraction or they have more sex more often and they take more risks in their sex life. And then as they begin to settle into their attachment phase, you know, I call this the next phase of the relationship, the sweatpants phase, because they begin to relax and let their pants out a little bit and eat what they want and, you know, not wear makeup as often, maybe not shave as often. People begin to relax into the relationship and feel comfortable. And this is what everybody wants. They want to feel comfortable. They want to feel that they found their true companion whether they're gay, straight, it doesn't matter. They want to feel comfortable and that they don't have to go out looking anymore. And so the problem is is that in the initial romantic phase, you are still longing for your partner, and attraction happens in the space in between you. And so once you don't have that space anymore, um, there's not as much longing and attraction when the person's sitting next to you on the couch every night. So... Um... Oh, there was an old saying that says familiarity breeds contempt. Is that kind of what you're saying? Well, it doesn't necessarily breed contempt, but familiarity can definitely breed boredom. Yeah. And that's the sort of challenge of domesticity is how do you keep the eroticism alive? How do you keep that, you know, attraction going when you're living with someone on the couch every night and not longing for them anymore? And we can talk more about that when we come back from the break if you'd like. Yeah, we'll come back in our next segment and talk about Dr. Nelson's book, Getting the Sex You Want, Shed Your Inhibitions, and Reach New Heights of Passion Together. We'll be right back after this commercial. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families can recover from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. 
At Last, a radio program dedicated to helping women look fabulous and feel fabulous naturally. You'll pick up tips on natural detox, learn about the benefits of whole foods, practice stress and relaxation techniques, and learn more about health, relationships, remedies, and self-motivation. Tune in to Feel and Look Fabulous with Arena. Broadcast live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We promise you, it's women's time well spent. This is an important programming note from the Voice America Women's Channel. The Catherine Zox Show is moving. Our new address is Voice America, and we will be heard on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, starting Wednesday, November 19th. All of the archives will still be available through Catherine's Boombox Player. Remember, tune in to the Catherine Zox Show on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, beginning on Wednesday, November 19th, on Voice America's flagship Voice America Channel. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everybody. Today our guest is Dr. Tammy Nelson, and we're talking about Imago Relationship Therapy and Sexual Counseling. And um, before we went to break, we told everyone we'd be talking about your book, Getting the Sex You Want, Shed Your Inhibitions, and Reach New Heights of Passion Together. So I'm sure everybody's waiting with bated breath, excuse the pun, for um, for you to tell everybody the secrets of this. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of um, the book came out of my own frustration with uh, my own training as a therapist because even though I did a lot of uh, training and got my master's and my Ph.D. and did so much training in um, learning how to work with couples, no one really talked about sex. And I thought that was so ironic, (laughs) you know, to get all this training in working with couples and no one really talked about how do you help couples to talk about sex or how do you help couples work on their sex life, you know, what do you do and how do you do it. And um, what I realized is that, you know, no one really talks about sex. And so it's hard for therapists as well. And so I wanted to give both therapists and couples a way to um, begin to feel more comfortable talking about sex and to open the door to increased feelings of passion so that when they were in that sweatpants phase and they started to feel a little bored in their relationship, they could um, bring that erotic energy back into the relationship because when it starts to get split off outside of the relationship, then people start having affairs, they go on the Internet, they start getting addicted to pornography, all kinds of things happen. And so I found that the couples that were the happiest and stayed together the longest were the couples that were having sex and having good sex, and they were reporting, you know, greater levels of satisfaction in their emotional relationships. And so I thought this is probably the most rewarding work I could do was to help couples work not just on taking out the garbage and sort of the day-to-day frustrations and complications of life, but to really make a difference in, in their relationship, to work on their erotic connection and the passion in their life. Because what I found is that a lot of couples came into therapy and said, you know, I really love my partner, but I don't feel in love. And what I really began to realize is that a lot of that in love feeling is a feeling of passion. 
And passion is really connected to that feeling of eroticism because feeling erotic means you feel alive. You know, the root of the word erotic is eros, E-R-O-S, and eros is the life force. It's that energy that makes you feel alive, makes you feel passionate, makes you feel energized. And people want to have that feeling, and they want to have it with their partner, ideally. And so the book was really a result of figuring out um, how I could create a safe place and a safe space for couples to do the work that I think is so important, which is to work on their sex life and to begin it in my office, but then to be able to do it on their own using my book and using the exercises in my book. And that's really the, the development of the book. Um, and you mentioned earlier how if if couples or people aren't able to do this, that's when um, people start to deviate from norms and maybe get into compulsive behaviors or sex addiction. And it seems to me like um, there are a lot of different definitions for sex addiction. And could you just kind of clarify, you know, what is a sex addiction and what what is, um, you know, a relationship issue? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's so much controversy now about sex addiction because some people believe that, you know, it's an excuse so that you can go out and have affairs or have sex with whoever you want. And other people believe that there really is a compulsive, uh, hypersexual disorder where people are really obsessive about um, sexual behaviors and they can't stop. So there's, you know, there's several different areas of, of sex addiction. And one is where people are really addicted to um to masturbation, basically, because they're really looking at pornography or using fantasy or other sort of internalized behaviors that they can't stop. So we're talking about people that um, will continue that behavior until they have sores and abrasions and until they can't um, stop doing it at work or at home, even to the point where there's uh, repercussions and consequences that um, are still not stopping them and people that want to stop but can't and have tried to stop their behavior but can't, people who get caught looking at pornography on their work computer but can't stop doing it. And that's one area of sex addiction that becomes very compulsive for people. And then there's a whole other area of you know, compulsive affairs where people really reach out to other people in other relationships, whether they're purely sexual and have no feelings or whether there's uh, an emotionally driven infidelity that becomes compulsive either with multiple partners or with um, uh, one partner at a time where there's a, a inability to uh, control going outside the primary partnership. So some people do it just for sex and they feel like they can't stop. So it doesn't matter if they're doing it with a prostitute or with someone they pick up in a bar or in a public restroom. And other people are having compulsive relationships where they really feel like they're in love with someone. So they have an emotional affair first with someone at work or someone on the Internet, and then eventually they uh, begin to have a physical relationship as well. And so that's when you hear uh, about people in the news, you know, with all kinds of um, range of sexual behaviors that feel compulsive and that, you know, we look at them and say, you know, what is this person thinking? They have a wonderful wife or a perfect husband and they've really messed up their lives with some kind of sexual behavior. So 
it can be confusing when we look at it from the outside, but we really have no idea what's going on in their lives and in their relationships and in their minds. A real sex addiction has absolutely nothing to do with sex. You know, a real sex addiction is someone who is so compulsive in their behaviors that they really can't stop. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Um, And I think that um, in some ways that makes the most sense. It's when, like you were talking about, the um, when people have serial affairs or serial infidelities. um, You know, I guess from my perspective, you know, I can understand that because relationships are really hard work, that that people get to the point where they say, this isn't working for me anymore. And most people, I think, would sit down with their partner and say that. And I, and what compels somebody to go outside of that into the infidelity part? You know, I mean, because there's so much, um, I mean, if we look at some of the people that have been in the news recently, I mean, the, the sense of betrayal, that um, if you look at Sandra Bullock or you look at um, Tiger Woods' wife, I mean, that to me is just, um, I don't know how you get beyond that, and I don't understand why you need to do it more than once. Mm-hmm. You know, so so I guess for, for my struggle with the sexual addiction part is, is that I understand compulsive behavior, you know, but um, this this other side of it, the relationship side of it, I guess is more confusing for me. The confusing part is how they affect their partner, you mean? Well, and and how can you, um, I mean, if you have one affair, then why not just say, I mean, why keep having affairs? Why not just end it? I mean, why not just go to your partner and say, We're, you know, I don't want this anymore? I mean, why, why keep both? You know, why keep the facade of one relationship while having the infidelities? Mm-hmm. Ongoing, which and I'm not talking about compulsive sex. I'm talking about the infidelities that you were talking about. Yeah, you know. Well, I think for many people that even the compulsive infidelity is feels very compartmentalized. So it feels like I have my wife and my family, who I love and care about very much, and then I have these other things on the side going on, and the you know never the twain shall meet, so to speak. Like they they really don't affect each other in my mind. And when they cross over, when they finally, when everything sort of crashes and burns and everything becomes exposed, it's a real shock because for a lot of people who are doing that compulsive behavior, everything's compartmentalized, everything's in a different box. And so you can still love and care for your wife and have outside relationships because in your mind they're not really connected. It doesn't really mean that Tiger Woods doesn't love his wife and it may in his mind not mean that he has to end the relationship because of those relationships, those outside relationships. For some people, having an affair can be what I call a can opener. It's a way of getting out of the relationship without having the words to do it. A lot of women do that when they have affairs. They don't necessarily have the even the awareness that they want to end the relationship when they have an affair, and then when the affair is over, they go, you know what, I think I, think I had that affair because I really want to be out of my marriage or out of my relationship. And they realize that that was a way of getting out, or they get caught in an affair, and they um, it ends the relationship for them, so they don't have to be the one that goes to their partner and tries to break it off. So sometimes people don't have the tools or the communication skills or even the awareness that they want to end their their relationship. And sometimes there's no intention of ending, that they really think that they can have both and stay. 
So we have we have some very effective clinical tools for compulsivity, and we have some very effective clinical tools for addiction. Mm-hmm. How? What kind of clinical tools do we have for infidelity? Well, it's interesting because up until now, all the literature about infidelity and recovery from affairs has really only brought us up to the point of forgiveness. You know, that has always been sort of the goal is to have a perpetrator and a victim identify who's the bad guy and who's the you know the victim or the good guy and then bring us to the point of getting the person who's been victimized to forgive the perpetrator and then no one's really talked about what do you do after that and i think it's implied that um you know the the victim has never done anything wrong and the perpetrator will never do anything wrong again so i don't think it's been um broad enough and we haven't gone far enough and so we need so we'll be right after this commercial. Hopefully we'll talk a little bit more about that. And yeah. if anybody has any questions, please give us a call. And we'll be right back after this commercial. Great. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Two views, different topics, questions, answers, news, and advice. You'll want to check out Ecoman and the Skeptic live from Philadelphia University. Every week, join hosts Rob Fleming and Chris Pastor as they tackle a different topic on sustainability. You'll hear all sides of the issue supported by guests who provide valuable insights. Get ready to be engaged, educated, and entertained when you tune into Ecoman and the Skeptic. Broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Green Talk. Network. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart, but I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. This is One Hour at a Time. I'm Mary Woods, and our guest today is Dr. Tammy Nelson, and we're talking about Imago Relationship Therapy and Sexual Counseling. And we were talking before the break about how there hasn't been a lot of literature on effective treatments for um, for people who get involved in infidelity or multiple infidelities. And... Um, you were saying that we've gotten to the point where there's a perpetrator, there's a victim and a perpetrator, and and we get to the point of forgiveness. And you were about to expand on it before we went on break. So could you finish that really interesting thought? Yeah, well, I think it, it doesn't take into account that um, what happens before the affair in the relationship, um, what the person who had the affair may have been experiencing, um, it doesn't take into account that the person um, who was victimized may have had an affair themselves. It doesn't take into account that perhaps there was no sex in the relationship for a very long time, five, ten years. Maybe it doesn't take into account that the um, relationship is on its way out. I mean, there, there can be so many reasons for infidelity. And so it, it, we need to take a sort of a broader perspective on what um, was going on in the relationship and what... Um, is really happening because if you collude with one side or the other, it 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 um, sort of shuts off a whole world of possibility of what could be happening in the relationship. And the other piece is if you only take the relationship to forgiveness, then it implies that we have to forgive the person who had the affair and forget about our feelings of betrayal, and it assumes that we're never going to talk about it again or we have to somehow get over it because we've forgiven that person. And so I think forgiveness is sort of an organic process that happens over time. And it happens when there is what I call erotic recovery. You know, the affair is only over when the couple begins to have an erotic connection again, when the couple begins to work on their sex life and starts to have a sexual connection and begins to trust each other again, then the affair is over. But until then... If the couple is still dancing around each other, if they don't trust each other enough to have sex, if they're not happy with their erotic connection, if the erotic energy is still split off outside the relationship, then the affair is still running their marriage or running their partnership. And it's not really over. Even if the outside partner is no longer involved, they haven't healed yet from the affair. And so part of... um, What's so important in the new vision of the new relationship or the new marriage is to work on the erotic recovery. You know, we've always assumed that you have to sort of wait for the relationship to heal to work on your sex life, but you really have to work on your sex life to heal your relationship. Because if you don't, then either the relationship goes back to where it was and one partner will end up cheating again, or you sort of deny the whole aspect of the relationship that needs to be healed, which is probably the part that got hurt the most, which is the deepest, most intimate connection that you've had as a partner. And so we don't want to ignore that part. And we want to work on um, the betrayal and the hurt and the anger and all the parts that keep us from uh, being vulnerable and also create the most vulnerability in our relationship. And so I think that 
in treating infidelity and and if you've had a betrayal in your relationship, it's it's so important to know that you can move beyond an affair and many times you can survive an affair and even be stronger in your relationship. For some couples it could be like a wake up call. Like, wait a minute, I did not want it our relationship to be where it was. I do not want our relationship to end up where we ended up. I want to do this differently, and I do love you, and I don't want to lose you. And for a lot of couples, it can be stronger than ever. For some couples, it's a you know sort of a, a goodbye. For some couples, it's you know the realization that you know I really need to be out of this because it's really not healthy for me, and and it's okay to be done in a healthy way. But if a couple has decided, you know, I really think that there's enough connection here and enough aliveness, and we sort of got off track, um, for many couples, you know, the, the answer is not necessarily divorce. The answer is let's heal this and see if we can move on and begin a new relationship going forward. Well, it seems like regardless of whether there's divorce or not, each person has to heal. Otherwise, don't they take all that into their next relationship? Yeah, well, that's a good point. So either either you stay together and heal or you have to heal separately anyway. And frankly, you know, I think it's easy to do the healing with the person that you're with because most of the time you've had a big investment in that relationship. You either have a mortgage or children or a dog or <laughs> at least some time that you've put in together. And so um, if you can do some healing together and then move on, um it's easier to heal on an individual basis. Sometimes you really need to be separated if there's been a situation where that really feels abusive and you feel like you really have been re-wounded so many times that you just can't be together. Then that makes sense that you should end the relationship and do that healing on your own um, separately. But I do agree with you that you both need to do the healing anyway. You know, it seems like um, when we talk about sex addiction, there's a lot of... um, there certainly have been a lot of jokes on late night television about different folks, and you know, it's. I think we're at a place for folks that um, have an alcohol or other drug disorder. Um, there's there's more understanding of it as I think society understands it better than they did 25 years ago. I think there's more acceptance of the fact that um, people get addicted and that they're brain diseases and that there are effective treatments for it. And I think there's less, um, I think a lot of people don't feel the need to hide the fact that they have an alcohol or other drug disorder. I mean, certainly are more and more people coming out about that. And it seems like with um, with people that have sex addictions or relationship disorders or whatever, that this is still an area where we don't see it as much as a brain disease. We don't see it as much as an illness, but more of um, we put we're kind of we're back to saying that this is a moral issue, right? Well, it's yeah. certainly a value judgment that we put on people. Yeah. So we we look at it more like um, like we used to look at, or we still look at obesity. You know, it's sort of like pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just you know close your mouth and don't eat instead of looking at at um, compulsive eating or crave food cravings as a perhaps an addiction. And so there is definitely a value judgment when it comes to sex that you should be able to um, curb your appetite, you know, curb your appetite for food or sex, um, control your more baser urges, 
um, and that you know you have a, your higher urge as a human is to be able to control your more animal urges, um, which are your baser urges like your desire for sex. And I think you know to some extent that that's true. That we you know if we all followed our primitive brain around, we would all be um, you know. <laughs> having sex with whoever we wanted, eating whatever we wanted, and not wearing clothes. And living in a cave. (laughs) Right. You know, or it would be running us around so that the um, idea that we have to control some of our urges is very true. And on the other hand, um, there's so much comorbidity with sex addiction. So sometimes it's a symptom of something else. It can be a symptom of bipolar disorder. It could be a symptom of drug addiction or alcoholism or obsessive-compulsive disorder or anxiety, that sometimes it can go with some other disorder and be a symptom of some other problem. And so it's not necessarily um, a disorder in and of itself, but perhaps an indicator of some other issue of a history of sexual abuse or um, some other problem that needs to be looked at and needs to be looked at immediately in some cases. Well, Dr. Nelson, I want to really thank you for being our guest today. This hour has flown by. How can folks um, learn more about Imago Therapy or learn more about um, the books that you've written? Um, well, they can go on my website, which is www.drtammynelson.com, and through that they can learn about everything we've talked about today. You can also buy my book or you can contact me directly. Thank you so much. This has been a great hour and very illuminating. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks, Mary. Appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.